Okay, picture this. The year is 1727. You, a young lad, are sitting in a pub in Scotland. Nothing out of the ordinary, just drinking some spirits after a hard day's work. Now a man walks in and sits one seat away from you. Three drinks later, he gets up and leaves. Forgetting to take a foiled piece of paper, or so you think. Two drinks later, you get up and leave as well, swiping that foiled piece of paper. As you make your way out, it's almost as if you were expecting it. After a couple steps outside, you unravel its crinkles to discover its contents. A bunch of lines and symbols. Well, that might be what the average Scotsman would make of it. But you, my friend, are anything but. In fact, you clench your fingers even harder and bring the note closer to your face. You stare at the symbols with wide eyes and whisper their meaning to yourself. Meeting tonight at the church in Edinburgh. How? How do you know what they mean? It's because you are a part of one of the most secretive fraternities in the world. The Freemasons. Governed by a network of lodges, you and your brethren answer when called forward and adhere to your secular beliefs while spreading principles of morality to everyone around you. However, there's a catch. You and your brethren also work in secret, and as such, you guys created your own cipher a few years ago to encode your messages. It can go by many names, Masonic cipher being appropriate given the circumstances, but today it is most widely known as the Pigpen cipher. And among being used to document secret rituals, you may be surprised to find out that the Freemasons use the Pigpen cipher to record less mysterious content, such as the details of financial transactions. Now, it seems that the Pigpen cipher was dominant in Masonic texts in, in their communication. But there, that's, there's, here's the thing. You don't necessarily have to be a Freemason to know how to use the Pigpen cipher nor how to crack it for that matter. Given that it's just a substitution cipher that uses symbols instead of letters, it's actually pretty easy to use. In fact, prison communities across America have been using it for quite some time now throughout modern history for that very reason. As authors William S. Butler and L. Douglas Keeney say, this is an effective code because it is easy for the first time users to use and is simple enough to memorize, eliminating the need to have a written code key lying around. In fact, since it's so easy, allow me to explain the mechanics of the cipher itself. To do so, I'll need you to make four mental images in your head, two three by three tic-tac-toe grids, and two two by two diagonal variations. This would give you enough cells to place the letters of the alphabet in. One tic-tac-toe grid will have dots within its cells, and one diagonal variation will also have dots within its cells. The application of the dots to the two grids makes sure that each letter has its own unique symbol for the key to understanding. For the key to understanding, this cipher lies within the geometric configuration of the grid lines and placing of the dots. Now, in the order from the tic-tac-toe grid without dots to the tic-tac-toe grid with dots to the diagonal variation without dots, to the diagonal variation with dots. Fill in all grids with letters in alphabetic order. If you encode the letter A, you would get a symbol that looks like a backwards L. If you encode the letter K, you would get a symbol that looks like the letter U with a dot in it. 
And if you encode the letter T, you would get a symbol that looks like the tip of an arrow pointing right, and so on. That was pretty easy, right? At this point, you're set to start using the Pigpen cipher to make secret messages of your own. But before you do so, I think we should revisit the Civil War as a tale of caution to remind us how weak the Pigpen cipher actually is. In December 1863, the Union Army intercepted a message addressed to a rebel spy. Its contents were entirely encrypted and confused many, even the Secretary of War himself. This left the challenge of decryption up to three men, David Homer Bates, Albert B. Chandler, and Charles A. Tinker, and it did not take them long at all, four hours to be exact, and this was mainly due to Bates' familiarity with the cipher from his childhood job at a store in Pittsburgh. This really shows how much the Pigpen cipher had been compromised by the 19th century. Besides, even without familiarity, Someone with a decent background in cryptography could have employed the use of frequency analysis after discovering that oh-so-mysterious cipher is in fact just a substitution cipher. But that's the thing about the Pigpen cipher. Its strength relies on the hope that anyone who sees it neither has familiarity nor cryptographic background to decode it. It's honestly a cipher of hope, which is why. As weak as it may be, many still use it. In fact, some even opt to create their own variations. Two popular examples are a spoken variation and a clock variation. The spoken variation, used a lot by prisoners, uses the same grid patterns as the original pigpen cipher. But instead of placing dots in one of each type of grid cell, it places numbers in grid cells starting from one in all grid cells. I correct myself, starting from 1 and going up to 26. The sender then calls out a number, and the recipient writes down the letter corresponding to that number in the grid cell. Now that I think about it, that doesn't seem too intuitive given that one can just skip the whole grid thing by writing out an entire alphabet and numbering the letters from 1 to 26, but hey, whatever it takes to keep the authorities on their toes. Thankfully for them, the clockwork, cipher, the clockwork variation is a little better. It uses one big 3x3 tic-tac-toe grid and squeezes 24 letters on the outside grids, while there are two in the middle. To encode, you choose a time in the day and then begin writing the letters of the alphabet starting from that spot on the tic-tac-toe grid, with the last two going in the middle. I myself, I myself find this very funny given that these are variations of the pigpen cipher, while the pigpen cipher is actually a variation of another cipher that German physician Cornelius Agri Agrippa documents in his series, Three Books of Occult Philosophy, which was published in 1531, almost 200 years before the Freemasons even formed. In fact, the name of the cipher in question is actually called the Rosicrucian cipher named after take a guess the rosicrucian brotherhood another secret secret fraternity i guess you can say ciphers like these are a variation of a variation now that beckons the question is the rosicrucian cipher a variation of another cipher regardless i think we should take from the regardless what I think we should take from this is that the versatility of the Pigpen Cipher, or whichever name you choose to go by it, 
has allowed it to persist on for centuries, each century possibly boasting a variation of its own that we don't even know about. It's almost a personification of how we humans pass on through generations, each new generation being different from the old. If that's the case, I don't think we'll ever see the end of the Pigpen Cipher. But hey, who's complaining? <laughs>